So um, it's a great pleasure for me to be back here. I haven't been in this hall for three years. I was in Europe, in England, and so it's, um, I'm very happy to be back with you. Some of you I know, I've known before. Some of you are new to me. And um, also always a great joy for me to see that um, more and more people are interested in waking up, learning about the Dharma, and um, bringing this into their life, everyday life. That's, uh, that's great. So, um, if you just sit quietly and uh, we can meditate together, and I'll be saying some, I'll be giving you a teaching, but it's more like a meditation really, all together. So, um, Namutasa Bhagavatu Arahatu Samma Sambutasa Namutasa Bhagavatu Arahatu Samma Sambutasa Namutasa Bhagavatu Arahatu Samma Sambutasa Buddhang Dhammang Sangham Namasami We are all part of a world which is um, increasing in complexities and increasing in um, our awareness of struggles and conflicts, wars, not just uh, close to us, but also as far away as the other side of the planet or and um, it's interesting to reflect how this affects us in our everyday life. There's a part of ourselves which is very, um, which loves simplicity, which loves peace, which loves um, some kind of a, a unity. And yet we have this experience of conflict, this experience of internal wars, external wars, this kind of constant battle in our life just to survive, just to, just to breathe every day sometimes. Hmm? At least if we are not sick, we can just be very grateful for still being able to breathe normally. Some people are you know, on a daily, um, <clears throat> a daily um, challenge just even just to, to breathe. And um, it really um, strikes me how many of us come to meditation to resolve a certain degree of conflicts, to resolve a certain degree of, um, of pain that, that is brought through these kind of resistances in ourselves. And then from the Buddhist perspective, we're hear how much everything is constantly in a state of change, of flow, that there is a, a way of looking at things which doesn't need to breed conflicts constantly. But if we really go to the root of ourselves, of what a human being is made of, then you realize that from the very beginning there is already the seed of this duality 
You know, we, 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 we struggle, we want to resolve that so often. How much money do we spend just to resolve our inner kind of um, inability to be at peace with ourselves? So a process of understanding is very important. We can understand uh, intellectually the Buddhist teaching fairly f- quickly. This is not, doesn't require a great degree of intelligence to, to see that, to think clearly about the fact that things are changing, things are painful, come to a certain age. I don't think we need a lot of teaching about pain, don't we? Do we? That's pretty easy to come to see. You know, and the one more difficult aspect of the uh, Buddhist teaching is to realize this, that actually there is nobody around who's experienced all these, all these things. <laughs> that really throws us, doesn't it? <laughs> I used to say to my teacher, it's amazing that we don't go completely crazy by the very fact that we are practicing. I mean, some of us monks and nuns dedicate our life to the practice, knowing clearly there's nobody around. There's no one to train. <laughs> And yet we put all this effort into living a life of training and so on. So you can see the beginning of, you know, the beginning of conflict right there and then. There's a conventional reality, ultimate reality, insight, delusion, nibbana, samsara, good, bad, happy, unhappy, black, white, big, small, and so on. So... It is a strange world. Just to recognize that malaise at the level of, you know, right from the source might help us to stop struggling with this idea that we've got a problem. With this idea that there's something wrong with me. I have to sort myself. One day I'll be able to be alright. It's a bit like asking the season just to stop. You know, or the cloud in the sky just to stop. Or the rain to stop. You know, Dharma is sometimes translated as nature with a capital N, nature. And um, do we see ourselves as part of nature? Or do we see ourselves as a mass of conflict that needs to be resolved, sorted out, cleared, purified, improved on, and so on and this is the you could say the perspective from the point of view of avidya or ignorance breed that sort of perceptions you know I am a problem for myself I need to resolve it and then goes the goes the cycles the cycle keep kind of it's like the wheel the wheel keeps turning not the wheel of dharma but the wheel of samsara keeps turning you know and so it is very hard. I'm not saying it's easy to um, come to terms with that. But one thing that uh, seems to be, to me, very important is to realize what is Dharma? What is nature? There are three words I noticed that seem to, that we, it's really worth kind of comp- contemplating for ourselves. Uh, which have become, they have been sort of tinted with some kind of weird emotional 
baggage. Three. One is called attachment. The other one is called self or me. And the third one... Anyway, let's start with attachment and me. (laughs) Okay. And they have become like, in some quarters, it's kind of like a, a curse word, you know. Sort of talk about attachment is... I'm absolutely, you know, it's like, it's like a swear word almost. I'm attached. And then goes the anger. I shouldn't be attached. And goes the conflict. So here we are. You know, there's, as Buddhists, particularly Buddhists, you know, we, 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 we have to be very careful how we use those words and what kind of emotion we bring with them. You know, when we see a leaf on a tree just hanging on that in the autumn, just about to fall, I mean, are we cursing her for being attached to its branches? Are we? No. We just, we, we write a poem about it, don't we? <laughs> Take a picture. Take a picture, photograph. We write most beautiful aesthetic things about leaf just refusing to fall down quicker than they need to. <laughs> Us like you know trying to to stop the day from being the day or to stop the night from being the night. And so, how much do we do this with ourselves? Seeing the Dharma, seeing the way things are, isn't it another way of saying seeing nature? Am I part of nature? Am I just a big leaf? Just as aware of being a big leaf? Are my thoughts like big, you know, small or big leaves, pretty or ugly, but still something in nature? I see that all the time. People, I'm thinking, that's terrible. You know, I've just been the whole day just been so deluded, so ignorant. It's like, you know, you become a Buddhist and you just beat yourself up after that for the next... <laughs> for the next 20 years for not being a a proper leaf. (laughs) And this is a topic that interests me because I suppose I have, you know, come out to, I'm away from a certain amount of my own struggle. And maybe I realize that how, how I struggle needlessly with myself just out of stupidity, you know. And I just hope that I can convey that to you. You don't have to say to do the same mistake. So, if we look at those words, you know, how much are we at peace with the fact that we are attached? We are very much a me. In fact, a great meditation meditation teacher in Thailand, an English monk, you know, pointed out something that is very important. He said. He was a very wonderful, pretty enlightened monk, but also had led 40 years in a monastery, you know, with very little kind of contact with the world, you know. So he's kind of, he's completely free from all the sorts of psycho jargon, psycho bubbles of the West, you know, and all these sort of, all the words that just keep reminding us that, you know, um, you know, just that, that, that doesn't kind of ruffle our feathers too much, you know, sort of. He's pretty straight. So, you know, but it, is, it, it, it does point to the fact that what is this funny Buddhism that, you know, we keep 
disappointing the fact that there's nobody around you know there's no self there is self there's plenty of cells you see them all the time don't you me is popping up millions of times per day so it's not a problem with having selves it's just noticing what kind of self, what what is a self you know what is it you know is, it, is there any reality? Is there any substance? Is there any truth in it? You know, how many self do you remember from yesterday? I mean, how many self have popped up in your heart? You've completely forgotten. How many, uh, you know, battles you just kind of concocted in your mind yesterday which have died today? So it's not like there is no self. It's just the selves that come up in the mind just don't have any substance. It's just illusory in the sense that if you catch them, if you grasp them, if you believe them, then they become, they become, they, 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 they keep the wheel turning. And not the wheel of Dharma, but the wheel of samsara. You know, so I'm sure most of you have studied the, the, the Paticca Samupada, the, the law of dependent origination, you know, how the law of conditionality, how things condition, one thing, description of the Buddha in the Buddha's teaching of how you know, from one condition, pain and suffering are caused, you know. Excuse me, we started a bit late. Is that okay to be a little late? Or? Um, I think we should allow people to leave at 10.45 if they need to. Okay. Okay. I have got, yeah, thank you. So, um, yes, this, um, you know, this ability to in, in this Paticca Samuppada, in this conditionality, you know, we are, we, we are taught, we learn how to see from one stage to another in our mind, we create suffering. The wisdom teacher have a way of simplifying things which are just magic, you know. As 12 links in the Paticca Samuppada, you know, all great. I mean, some scholars have written theses about each links and so on. Ajahn Shah has a way of saying, you know, Paticca Samupada is like falling off a tree. You notice there are many branches down the, you know, as you go down, but when you hit the ground, it hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> That's what the Paticca Samupada is about. I mean, you can study all the links, you know, how from suffering. And my teacher, Ajahn Sumedho, talks about the first two links is from being deluded, we create Sankara, which is mental formations, you know, we start building up concoctions and so on. You know, how many, we do that all the time. We perceive something wrongly, we build up a whole th- stories, stories upon stories about something until somebody say, no, that was Joe, not Jillian. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? And so my teacher translate this as uh, avijja pachya sankara you know de- ignorance conditions you know mental formations or um, you know mental um, concoctions or um, you know what is the word it's uh, anyway this kind of creation we do in our mind compounding things and so on we can just simply say, you know, he just say, and he gave us, you know, three retreats or two months at a time on this, on that particular teachings. So we could have gone into a real kind of subtle and eloquent way of doing it. But basically, avijja complicates everything. That was the first translation of the first two links. 
as soon as you're in the state of ignorance, everything gets complicated. So, people say to me, wow, you know, all this terrible thing going on in the world, all this dreadful, you know, stories we hear about people being so awful to each other. How, what can we do, sister? You know, I said, you know, I tell you something. From my perspective, I think it's a miracle we don't kill each other more often. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be, you know, cynical or flippant or in any way. It is tr- a truth. Once you know your mind and you know the forces of your mind and the power of delusion, the power of anger, the power of your inner violence, then I tell you, you might not know those things, you know, because we are brought up to be good girls and good boys, you know, from day one. But if you really know those forces inside yourself, you'll be amazed to be in this room without shouting at each other. You know, or finding something wrong about everybody here, or, which I'm sure you do at times. <laughs> at least half of the room. <laughs> but, you know, there is a, a, a sense of relief when you start getting to know your own avidya, your own concoction, your own kind of compound way of sort of addiction to compound things forever and ever, you know, and mistrust the, 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 the heart itself, the heart of non-delusion, non-avidya, vidya, the heart of enlightenment or the heart of awakening or the heart of wisdom, compassion, the heart of truth, name it whatever you like. It's an experience, you know, it's an insight. And so, you know, it's miraculous that the world is in such a good shape, knowing what people are doing and thinking all the time. It's extraordinary. It's miraculous. Of course, it's miraculous because we don't understand better. But truly, uh, instead of moaning and complaining and trying to, you know, spending millions of dollars trying to, um, you know, improve on the world, understanding the world, if each one of us did that, I mean, that would save a lot of lives, I can tell you. And a lot of troubles. The mind is very powerful, and we do, we do ignore that. I mean, that a state of ignorance is just not knowing the power of one's own mind. And, of course, we use those powers. You know, when we are angry with each other, when we are upset, when we want to put somebody down, when we want to undermine somebody because they have, they have hurt us or they have mistreated us, then, you know, we use our power without knowing. You know, we actually, uh, you know, and then people you know, want to improve on themselves, want to be more peaceful, more kind, all that sort of things. But what causes, what is the conditions to come to that place of non-conflict, of peace, of kindness, of understanding? Truly, truly, not just on the surface, not just as a kind of mask not just conditioned by our social demands and our social etiquettes and our greed. A lot of the time we become social creatures because there's a lot of greed in our heart. We want something from somebody else. We want, you know, and we can really take advantage of a situation in that way. 
And this is why the, the Buddha points that, you know, very directly to the source of the problem. And once the source is actually dealt with, then your world changes radically. As you know, but we can never hear it enough, don't we? We're really open to it. We can never hear the Dhamma enough. Because even when we hear the Dhamma, about 1% is really, you know, it's kind of caught halfway. And about 99% is sort of, is still buried under, isn't it? <laughs> so, when we practice the Dhamma to really come to the end of our suffering, to the end of our conflict, the end of our miseries, do we realize that we create it ourselves? Do we realize that we are the source? We are the beginning. And of course, we also are, you know, we, you know this is not saying this is my fault or my responsibility or my problem. It's also another realization that we are part of a long, long chain of events. We are part of so many conditions, known, unknown, seen and unseen. Most of the time we're just a, a slight, a kind of fairly lousy transmitter. <laughs> There's lots of statics. You know. So the Buddha first and foremost kind of aim in his teaching was to kind of make sure that the transmitter was working properly. You know, was actually well wired. And that the, the, the wires actually worked. <laughs> and so this is very much part, you know, a great aspect of the practice is this purification of the heart. You know, the, 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 the teaching that the Buddha gave to 1250 Arahants before the discipline, monastic discipline had been created through the stupidity of 45 years of discipleships with the Buddha. Do you realize, some of you probably don't realize that all the rules and the monks, that the monks and the nuns have is a result, the consequence of the complete stupidity and, you know, complete stupidity of all those monks and nuns who lived in the time of the Buddha. We would not have monastic discipline otherwise. If it had been really better disciples, we might just have three rules. <laughs> you know. And the nuns have more rules, not because, you know, we are stupid now, but because there, there were m- more problems. I mean, many of the added rules in a nuns, uh, Vinaya, nuns monastic discipline has to do with just protection. You know, and in India, to take one woman out of a family context, I mean, was just completely mind-blowing. Unheard, unseen, without her brother and her father and all the men in her life that she's under, you can imagine why he needed to add about 100 rules just to make sure the family was not going to rebel against it, you know. So. But um, to go back to um, the practice and the, um, this whole notion of conflict in ourselves, in the world, you know, where does it stop? Are you ready to stop it? Do you really want to stop it? Ask yourself. 
If you really ask yourself truly, you might find that you really like your conflict and your chaos and your delusion. And And again, it's not a curse word, liking delusion. It's part of nature. (laughs) Delusion is mostly more comfortable, emotionally speaking, than enlightenment. So, you know, our comfort zone, it's all about delusion. There's nothing more comfortable, in fact, than our delusion. Once you know that, you start looking at the comfort zone. And not be frightened to be uncomfortable. You know, waking up is uncomfortable. It doesn't follow the party line. <laughs> and that is quite startling for us, you know. We can be all youngsters, you know, rebellious and, you know, going against everything at the age of 20 because that feels great. Now, go against delusion later on, you know. It doesn't feel so great, actually. You have to be quite strong and quite determined. And sometimes Buddhism can be presented, you know, as another way of improving on ourselves or another way of improving on our degree of delusion, you know. Sort of kind of smartening up delusion, cutting out the rough edges, you know, and recreating a nice little nest, something that's kind of more adapted to my needs, me, my needs, you know. But that doesn't really fulfill the purpose of the practice. The purpose of the practice is liberation, whether you are a lay person or whether you are monastic or not, the purpose is the same. Whether as a lay person you're going to develop the paramita and as a monastic you develop the paramita too. <laughs> whether you're encouraged to cut through the religion as a monastic or cut through the religion as a lay person, it's the same stuff. The wisdom of our, you know, of knowing where we are is, you know, is responding to the situation where we are. You know, rather than dreaming of being a monastic while we are a layperson and missing the point, or being a monastic dreaming about being a layperson and wasting her or his time, we are there. The practice is being there with the situation as it is and deal with it. With the wisdom, the compassion, the alertness, the, 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 you know, everything that makes our mind strong and empowered, you know, the mindfulness, the, the trust, the faith, the, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to focus on things where you are, you know, and that is very energizing, you know, the ability to develop the mind where we are, where we are now, without moaning, complaining, you know, um, about where we should be, how we should be. That is a waste of time, even though that feels very comfortable for my Judeo-Christian background. Being a bad person, needing to, you know, be good, is a very strong conditioning. It's not the understanding of true Christianity or true Judaism, which I don't know anything about, but at least I know something about Christianity, you know, to keep undermining ourselves is not the path. 
you know, to keep finding something wrong and so on. When we find something that's not in, you know, when we find something in ourselves that's not in harmony with Dhamma, then we can even rejoice by the very fact that we can see it. You know, we can even gain energy and momentum in our practice just by being awake, seeing it, noticing it, and applying the remedies that we have. But our most, you could say, our, our, you know, the, 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 the most sort of immediate habit at our disposal in ourselves is often to create another conflict. I should not have been like this. I should have thought differently. I should do this. I should do that. I mustn't do this. She mustn't do that. If she was different, things will be different. If my mother talked to me nicely, more nicely, I could practice, you know. If my mind behaved differently, then I could really be a good practitioner. <laughs> See the conundrum? I mean, it's, it's thick, you know. It's, 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 a, it's quite a maze. It's an amazing maze. <laughs> because we, we have to find a, a refuge in ourselves. And we have to experience this refuge as reality to be able to rest in it, truly, you know, so that this battle between Dharma and Avijja, ignorance, and so ceases totally because we know this refuge in ourselves this is a refuge where we can rest, we can see clearly, we can trust, we can that can inform us where wisdom and compassion can be tapped into, where we can see things from a new perspective, you know, and which is here now. And the reason why often we lose contact with that, it's because we keep churning these old stories, this old me story. And me is not a curse word or a swear word or a bug you caught. You know. It's not having caught a, a nasty bug having a me. <laughs> Which sometimes people talk about themselves as if they had a kind of, you know, scarlatine or something. Scarlatine? No, it's a French word. It's kind of red things you get all over the kind of leaves you spots and things you know measles it's a kind of catching measles you know I've got a me in me I've still got measles once you see that me is actually quite serviceable (laughs) and can be actually used for a lot of very good purpose then you start befriending it actually it's like thoughts you know Many people think, maybe not you, I'm not saying, you've got a good teacher here, so you probably by then have kind of beyond, you've gone beyond that kind of uh, perception, you know. But many people think, oh, if I stop thinking, then I'll be, you know, I can do my meditation, or I've really gone forward. I've moved forward because I've, you know, I don't think so much. That could be true. That could you know, be possibility, but that could all be them just having a completely wrong perspective on things and, you know, pretending that 
you know, that that a great chunk of their life being sort of totally suppressed is the way forward. Thinking is a tool. It's absolutely vital. It's very important. That's what makes a difference between dogs, cats, and a human. You know. Although people have lots of theory about dogs and cats, you know, thinking and so on. They feel for sure. So we, you know, we have to go back to the source. That's the nicest place in you. And it's not separate from life and its immense complexity and its immense madness and its chaos and its the thing that blinds us all the time, that drives us crazy, that, you know, that is really can be truly miserable and truly wonderful and truly nothing special and truly something fantastic. We can make it what we want. But until we understand the mind, we will still fall prey of this idea that life is a problem. And then we will be frightened of our own energies, of our energy of others. We'll be scared of our life force, you know, when it manifests. This life energy is here to enlighten you. It's not here to curse you. It's not a problem in other, you know, it's in fact, as you know, in some tradition, you know, and I mean, as, as a practitioner, you begin to be extremely grateful to have something so close to you and so alive to lead you, you know, to awaken you. You know. So, I'll leave you on this. There's about half, ten seconds for questions, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So we started about, I don't know how many minutes late, but according to the clock there, it started about eight minutes late or something like that. You can tell people to go if they want to. One of the things you said, um, and maybe I'm misinterpreting it, and I'm not sure if everyone can hear me, um, about ending my delusions in order to make it more comfortable for myself to go on is still a delusion. I mean, I can I can work on myself, I can work in my mind, I can, you know, change the patterns of my delusion, but my goal even in that is to make me more comfortable. Isn't that still a delusion? <laughs> I do hear you. I do hear. Yeah, I hear what you said. Um, wanting to be more comfortable is not a delusion. But if you attach to this, then it becomes a delusion. Because that blocks your view. The attachment will block. Even when you'll see comfort and happiness, you won't be able to see it because you'll be so busy clinging to your view. Do you understand? Right. Now, it's quarter to ten, and I know that some people might want to leave, so please feel free to go or to stay. Is that? Okay.
keep an open mind. <laughs> well, I, I could have many thoughts. I could churn up a lot of thoughts in my mind if I wanted to, you know. But, you know, all of you have had some ideas about the Burmese conditions, you know. I met, what was the name of this uh, man who did a lot of films on Burma, who's also a meditation teacher. Some of you may know him. Hmm? No, but he, he, he's yeah, that sort of Vipassana thing, who spent some time in Burma. You know, I, I met him in 1990, and he was already talking about the Burmese situation and so on. So, it's not a new thing, you know, this whole... You, I could say it's terrible. I could say it's not so terrible. I could say it's amazing. I could have... I mean, I am a very opinionated person, you know. But I don't want to give you my opinions particularly. Because, you know, you have, I'm sure, lots of opinions. And I'm sure they're very wise, you know. But at some level, what can we say? You know, we're not there to know what's going on exactly. This woman, you know, she comes from England. She's very famous in England, you know. So the story of this woman has been known for years and years and years. And, you know, uh, the the junta, I mean, the military junta, who, of course, we want something much better than that, you know, generally all of us will not want to be run by a military government. But, you know, Thailand is run by more or less a military government. It's, it's kind of softer, you know, more open to other influences. But it has its own problems, you know. So I'm just curious what's going to happen because I heard about these monks. I heard about them stopping at the house of uh, Usang. You know their name? Yeah. Hmm? So he, yes. And so I'm just really waiting to see what's going to happen. It's really kind of interesting. I find it interesting. You know, I've heard so many views on it. You know, people have said, oh, people have taught, the Westerners have taught in Burma, have studied in Burma, and said, you know, uh, it's interesting with this military junta and this horrible, awful government, you know, the, the uh, one good side of it is that it's kept the, the Burmese very traditional, you know, and very untouched by the Western sort of materialistic values, you know, like Buddhism is still very strong there, or teaching, teaching is very strong, and so on. So, you know, I had a big insight. So, I mean, this is an insight I want to share with you, because I think it's, it was very helpful to me. And maybe, you know, an insight is when you see something, it's just kind of like a lightning bolt, you know, and it, it, you don't even know how it happened, but, you know, it's, it's something that has a, a transformative effect on your mind. And this insight was very, very simple, is that whatever I pick up, whether it's this glass, this microphone, the Buddha, or anything, or my, pick up my thoughts, or, it has two sides, a good and a, and a bad, a positive and a negative. Almost everything that you put your mind onto can have positive and negative. You can write a book on the good things, and you can write a book on the, on the, on the destructive aspect of something. And this insight made me realize, actually, I stop, it's not that I stop having views and opinions, and you know, I still have, you know, some perception of how things are, and realize that my commitment to the good, to refraining from doing evil, and to liberate my heart, 
you know, still with influence, you know, the truth that I trust will still influence me in my response to situation, okay, completely. But my views and opinions can actually just go by the wayside, you know, they can just be dropped. Because, uh, you know, I don't need views and opinion to know what is good and bad. I don't need to, because I know, I know harming is unskillful, I know non-harming is not skillful. I know, you know, controlling and harming and hating people is, is, is not good, you know. But do I really need a lot of views and opinions? No. That's me. I'm not saying you should be like that. But that was an interesting perspective, suddenly. How can I live, respond to life situation without my views and opinions? It's an interesting one, isn't it? And that was its insight. That was its insight. I don't need them. But I still got plenty of views and opinions about things. I can still churn them up if I want to, you know. But they don't occupy my mind anymore. You know, they, they leave my mind free, which is very nice. Instead of being really heated up about something, you know, and passionate in a way that kind of almost destructive, you know, because if somebody doesn't do what you want, you, they're going to see. <laughs> going to war with them or something. So, do you understand that we can respond to life from just the own goodness that you're developing in your practice, your own awareness of unskillfulness in yourself and in your life and your understanding, and the knowledge of your own mind and heart will give, you will be able to know immediately. You don't need to have books and stories and this you know, theories and, and, and a lot of ideas about things. The mind itself is very creative, if you let it be, you know, without keep on agitating the soup, you know, of your kilesa, of your delusions, you know. It will, you know, it will help you, it will really serve you. It's like, what am I going to do when I meet a tiger, you know? Well, one can have lots of views and opinions about it, can't we? <laughs> when you meet the tiger, you know, you drop your views and opinion and just respond, you know. <laughs> Don't you? No? <laughs> it's amazing, actually, how we can respond. I remember I had a king cobra in Thailand. I just went right through, you know, next to my kuti. Fortunately, I had a window and I was slightly raised up, you know. But I was in deep meditation, absolutely, you know, really concentrated. And I heard a shriek, you know. I thought, you know, somebody was kind of killing somebody else. Like a very light, uh, high-pitched shriek, you know. And then I, you know, I kind of got really startled and I looked through my window and I saw a snake, black snakes, and I saw a little frog in its mouth. And I didn't think. I went to a little piece of yellow candle that some of you have seen in, in the East. And my mind said, candle, drop, frog will be free. It didn't think, it knew. It's like, free the frog with a candle. They didn't think. They were just, you know, actions. And, you know, I'm not such a good kind of, you know, I, I don't know how to shoot things in the right place, or, you know, I'm not such, I, I don't know how to aim necessarily very well. 
but I dropped the candle, and I knew I had to drop on the head of this snake, otherwise it wouldn't work. It has to be right on the head. And so I dropped the candle, which went exactly on the head of the snake, and the frog jumped out. <laughs> I didn't have any views and opinions on it. <laughs> In fact, if I had had, I probably would have missed the, the head. You can see. Yes? I, I just want to finish. Does that answer your question? Is that <laughs> A couple of minutes ago, you said about every action has its good and its bad aspects, but in freeing the frog, the snake went hungry. The snake went? Went hungry. That's right. You denied its meal. That's right. I acted on my compassion for the frog, but then I was warned that that snake could be really upset. (laughs) (laughs) And... Unfortunately, I heard within the following half hour, once it's gone, that it was a king cobra. The kind of thing that kills you on the spot. <laughs> no, but looking so at... So, I acted, yes, yes, you're right. I mean, what are you, okay, what are you trying to say? No, yeah, the... the Can you get out of the good and bad kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah. the snake was now hungry. I mean, the snake's... The, being also that needs to be fed. And That's right. And I could be, you know, really reborn into a difficult situation with a snake in next life, wouldn't I? <laughs> but I'll have a jolly good time with the frogs. <laughs> and being French, you know what the British are calling us, you know. So, I probably an old karma with the frogs I've had. <laughs> no, but I understand what you're saying. You know, it's difficult. You, you have to mitigate at some point. You know, you can only do the best you can. You know, maybe if I had been more enlightened at that moment, I would just have left them alone, left them alone you know. But for some reason, my heart just went to that little frog. <laughs> Don't ask me why. It was completely spontaneous. You were talking about uh, trusting in our nature um, as a dharma. And um, I talked to these guys about um, physics and, and, you know, a random entanglement in the subatomic levels and how chaos is order in the most, in the particles, you know, of electrons and neutrons and, and so forth. Oh, okay. Um, you were talking about trusting in our nature. Yes, that I heard. Yeah. In dharma. And from a scientific point of view, uh, nature um, is uh, in random, random entanglement yeah. in the subatomic levels. Um, and um, everything is chaos, but within the chaos there is order. And, there is um, what? There is order in the chaos. Yes. Yes. You know, like the universe, you know, things are destroyed and things are created, you yes. know, things yes. die and things are born yes. and so forth. And it's all interconnected and checks and balances and that. 
that kind of acceptance of the way it is, is and understanding it rather than trying to change it all, Mm. is a part of that where you get that equanimity, where you kind of at peace with everything Mm. and kind of being able to kind of reach some form of understanding. Mm -hmm. And what we were doing was talking about it, of course, on a scientific level, but at the same time, it is nature because, you know, we're all atoms. And so understanding the nature of, of atoms in itself is understanding being, so to speak. Is that the question? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I didn't get it. I mean, I, I got your presentation on the sort of chaos and random and so on, but I don't get the question. What? What? Well, it's, it's more of a, it's more like, um, kind of looking at it from a point of just energy. That everything is just energy. Yeah, yeah. And that's our nature. Yeah. And just kind of accepting it. Yes. Rather than, you said, you know, always, you know, oh, I shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't be like that. I should be. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. actually, that's the way it is. That's so. right. That's right. In fact, I, I discovered the law of chaos in myself. You know, I didn't even know the chaos theory very much. But I suddenly got interested in this whole thing of chaos, you know, and then I heard there was a theory of chaos somewhere. And it was interesting, you know, just to read about it and say, oh, yeah. Because it's completely chaotic. I mean, we all kind of, you know, waves kind of being touched upon by so many other waves and so on. And we create, this is what the Buddha said, then we create stories about I am the wave, you know, and there's bad waves and good waves and... You know, there's big ones and small ones, and you want a big one when you've got a small one, and you want a little one when you've got a big one. You know, it's it kind of, it's endless. You know, that's what samsara is about, creating new waves. You know. Out of delusion, which is not even part of nature anymore. They're just like, you know, me being frightened of the waves, and I have to, okay. That makes sense. Do you want to add anything to that? I was just kind of uh, identifying with what you said. It's just like human nature to kind of create change because, you know, nature is change. You know, that's the impermanence of everything is that we are constantly wanting to change everything and that is our true nature, so to speak. So kind of accepting it. So maybe it's 11, just past 11, and I've been told that this is a sort of cut. Cut time. Huh? So, 